0: Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place where we drill deep into that which must be drilled to be obtained, and that's oil, and where we also talk about the important product that comes from that oil, diesel fuel. We also drill deep into an issue with the week, and today we're going to talk about what we are almost certain is the first in-person meeting of a trucking association since the pandemic began. It was the Georgia Motor Trucking Association that took the first step we're going to talk with their president and CEO, Ed Crowell, about how they managed to pull it off. But first, as we always do, let's turn our attention to the oil world. In some ways, really, this week has been sort of a mission accomplished week. OPEC and its OPEC plus allies met remotely, as they have been doing at other times this year. No in-person meetings. Earlier in the year, when they look at a plunge in prices that took oil uh, crude oil down to $10 per barrel for West Texas Intermediate, They put aside their many differences and chose to put into place a 9.7 million barrel per day cut in their quotas. While OPEC always gets a lot of criticism, or sometimes praise, depending on which side of the transaction you're on, for failing to get done what they say they're going to do, this time, they really did it. S&P Global Platts, in its report on what OPEC and its OPEC Plus allies produced in June, said they went above and beyond the agreed-upon cuts the member countries cut enough that the reductions ended up at 106% of the targeted number. Remember that when they began this quest, they had the bejesus scared out of them by the close of the May crude oil contract on CME going negative on the day before its final day of trading. So that did scare the countries in OPEC and the other producers of the OPEC plus group. That group is generally viewed as being led by Russia. It wasn't just that the price was low, it was the scenario of the world having so much crude oil that it was literally going to run out of places to put it. Ships were being booked to hold oil as tanks as, as tanks on land filled to the brim. Not long after Saudi Arabia and Russia had declared a price war against each other, they instead had decided to work together, instead to stop supplies from overwhelming the market. And they did. The incentive to put oil into floating storage now has pretty much disappeared, Oil that had been in floating storage is starting to see those supplies being reduced. Nobody really talks about the land-based tank filling to tank tops. There are three main reasons for that. First, the OPEC plus cuts of 9.7 million barrels per day as they agreed upon that clearly had a huge impact on supply. Second, U.S. production that had been at 13 million barrels a day before the pandemic has now slid to 11 million barrels per day, as low as 10.5 million barrels per day. So that's another 2 million to 2.5 million barrels per day off the market. Remember, the U.S. is not signatory to any of these other deals. And finally, as the world economy started to come back, demand climbed with it. April was down as much as 16 million barrels per day. Not totally sure where it's come back since then, but it's clearly not down at that level. So the end result has been a steadily increasing price of crude. Brent and WTI crude really aren't that far apart these days. You hear talk about the Brent WTI spread. It's maybe only about 2 to $3. So what we can tell you is that for Brent, the price at the end of April bottomed out at around $20. and As I speak this, it's about $43 per barrel. That's a number that will still wreak havoc on the budgets of a lot of oil-producing nations, but it's still a pretty nice climb from where it was back a few months ago. So, back to the whole mission accomplished thing. So, OPEC and its OPEC plus brethren decided this week to put into place what they had decided to do all along trim the reductions by 2 million barrels per day in August. So, that's there's still 7.7 million barrels per day under their quotas. So, it's still a significant reduction. Depending on how much demand continues to snap back, it might help to boost the price further. But, you know, there are some signs out there that I think the demand increase for now might have plateaued. Airlines are reporting that their surge in demand is looking like it's stalling. Freight demand in the U.S. has certainly come a long way, but can can it continue to rise as states start to see their economies slow again, either because of government ordered mandates or people just staying home to be safe? Can the market hold up at these levels if it's about to get hit with another 2 million barrels per day of supply from OPEC plus if, in fact, demand is stalling out? What OPEC said in its communique, though, was this. While there could be localized or partial lockdowns reimposed in some places, the recovery signs are clear, both in physical and futures markets. And they are. Even diesel hit its highest commodity price since March this week. Diesel has been what I like to call the runt of the litter in oil because of so much uh, diesel in inventory. We've talked about how those inventories of diesel remain huge, and they continue to remain huge, and diesel is going to lag the rest of the barrel for now. But it's slowly but surely moving higher, given the increase in the price of crude. The small gains in the DOE price have started to add up. That price is now up by a little more than 5 cents a gallon since the start of June. It's pretty amazing it isn't up more, given the rise in crude, but that really all comes back to the inventory levels in diesel. The diesel market is going to need robust demand to pull these inventories down. It's been getting that demand kick slowly but surely, and we will be headed toward peak peak freight season soon. It's still hard to see, though, how diesel outperforms crude in the coming months. The world made so much diesel since March, and it's been sagging ever since. We're going to turn our attention now on Drilling Deep to somebody that I think I would call a little bit of a trailblazer. His name is Ed Crowell. He's the president and the CEO of the Georgia Motor Trucking Association. Ed, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: Thanks for taking the time. Well, let me tell the audience why I think he's a trailblazer. I was going through Twitter the other day, looking underneath the trucking hashtag, and I saw a tweet there from an insurance company uh, uh, based in Georgia that they had just been to the uh, annual meeting of the Georgia Motor Trucking Association, of which Ed is president and CEO. And I thought, well, wait a minute, this looks – there's a, and there was a picture in the tweet. And I thought, how can this be? It was Did somebody really hold an in-person meeting? And so I reached out to the GMTA, to the the first of head of meetings, and then uh, over to Ed. And, and in fact, the GMTA did about, I guess, three weeks ago, uh, hold an in-person meeting uh, in the middle of the COVID uh, the COVID pandemic uh, in Florida. And um, so at first, I my first thought was, wow, these people must be a little bit crazy. Uh, and then I thought, well, let me talk to Ed. If uh, We'll see if he is crazy. And I, I can assure you that in speaking to him yesterday, um, I did not hear any craziness. We wrote a story for com, and I, it was such a good interview that I really wanted to have him here on uh, Drilling Deep. So, Ed, tell us about the process by uh, how you came to actually hold this meeting. I'm assuming you never actually canceled it, but I'm sure by February, early March, you must have been thinking that maybe this thing wasn't going to come off.
1: Well, John, yeah, you're correct. The the meeting is an annual meeting that GMTA holds every every year. Um, And of course, it was scheduled long before any of the pandemic uh, started to be known or started to hit the country. Um, So it was a matter of whether or not we were going to go through with it as opposed to uh, scheduling something, you know, after things had gotten interesting, to say the least. Um, So the process we went through was to sit down and... and, um, you know, begin to look at what the potentials were. And we actually did that as early as February. We started to look at uh, the early reports on what was going on and, and started talking to people, including our hotel partner on this, uh, about what it would look like if things stretched out and if these things were still a problem in the spring or, you know, as late as uh, as the middle of June. Um, yeah, let me, let me
0: just jump in here yeah. and note that the hotel partner here is the Ritz-Carlton in Amelia Island, Florida.
1: Yes, yes. and 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 you will hear me. Uh, you did yesterday, and, and you know I can't say enough good about them because their performance helped make this the success that it was. Um, but, yeah, we, we, we sat down and did that. And, you know, one of the first questions we had to answer was, if we're going to go through with this, is is it important that we do go through with it? And, of course, you know, we're a trade association, and the heart and soul of an association is people getting together. It builds value. It builds camaraderie. It builds the organization. It builds the industry. And uh, and we felt it was important to do this if if it, we – at all could, and uh, actually we started when we started asking our members their opinions, they agreed wholeheartedly. Uh, every survey we sent out, every question we sent out said, "If you guys can make this happen, make it happen um, as as it went through March and April, and more and more events got canceled, more and more people were saying, uh, you know, please take a serious look and see if you can pull this off because we need to do something together, we need to have the industry work together." And of course, during this time, the trucking industry as a whole was doing great things to serve people, to you know, keep logistics moving. And we felt as much as anything else, it was a chance for them to get together and relax and enjoy some of their successes for all they'd done. So, um, so we continued the process of deciding if we're going to move forward with this, with this, how do we make sure we do it safely? And that was the first big hurdle to get over. And the next was, how do we do it without throwing away uh, a fortune? I think uh, you you know that hotels have minimums. When you sign a deal to do an event like this, you guarantee to the hotel you'll book a certain number of rooms, you'll buy a certain number of meals, you'll spend a certain amount of dollars. And of course, looking at the pandemic coming, we figured out early on that if we didn't cancel completely, we probably could not guarantee the numbers we'd already guaranteed by contract. And there again, the Ritz-Carlton stepped up and they said, "Look." we're going to waive all the minimum requirements. We're going to work with you and whatever we can do to make this work, we'll make it happen. Um, So we went forward on that basis, knowing that it was then back to us to make good calls on on, uh, what was going to happen, who was going to show up and track that and make sure we made the best business judgment we could make after we'd made that first hurdle of making sure everybody could be safe.
0: All right. Now let's talk about the setup. I'm, I'm looking at the story that was on com with one of the pictures you sent over to me. And uh, it shows a classic row of conference tables, long, long rows of tables, but with a great deal of distance between the people sitting in the chairs. So what was the setup that you had to guarantee that?
1: Well, you know, that, and that's a great point. Um, in the business of planning meetings, you, you always try to squeeze people in. It creates an energy in a room. It creates a feeling that, hey, this is a place people want to be. And, uh, and so it's very unusual to deliberately do what we did there. Um, what we did was we had the uh, hotel basically set a six-foot table for every single individual that was going to be in attendance in the meeting. So we used the entire ballroom. And uh, in that, that ballroom would normally seat 2,000 people. Um, in the normal manner, um, it was only going to seat several hundred. The way we did it, with um, with this one six foot table per individual, so it does make sort of an interesting picture when you look at it. But it made for everyone to have that proper social distance throughout the entire meeting, um, and that was you know that was important that we could guarantee that for people.
0: All right now, one 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 thing about this meeting uh, that you discuss that we've discussed is the fact that this is a family meeting, that a lot of the members who attend bring their families. You have a big re- reception party. I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, I think with all the kids there, it's kind of hard to call it a reception, but uh, that to kick things off Sunday night, you had to make some significant changes in that.
1: Yeah, you're right. We did. Um, and it is, it is more of a welcome party than anything. Um, since we're in the summer. Uh, And families, you know, the kids are out of school and obviously this year everybody was out of school for a long time, but the kids are usually out of school and they usually come and and families make a week of it, you know, a little vacation of of coming to the meeting and then staying at the beach a little bit longer. And um, so we always have an event that involves the families on the first night and uh, we do try to do that outdoors if possible and in this environment, being outdoors is actually a safety factor. It actually in, improves everything. So we went ahead and did it outdoors. We made some changes in that we did, we normally do a large buffet and let everybody, you know, eat till their heart's content and uh, pick what they want to pick. And, you know, the, you pick up the tongs that someone else just used. And so you, we, we did away with all of that. We went strictly to plated dinners that were uh, served by people wearing uh, gloves and masks and, uh, we overset again. We had a lot more tables out there than we needed, and they were a lot further apart than they usually would have been so that people could be as far apart as they wanted. Um, That was where it was tough. The flexibility that was required to serve everyone was a little bit challenging, but it worked out well. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, we have families that have maybe five or six people in the family, and they, of course, all want to be at the same table. At the same time, you have people that are either traveling alone or Traveling with just one other person and and they don't necessarily want to sit at a table with six or seven other people that they've never uh you know been in contact with before, and so the ability to overset and the ability to make those extra spaces helped us make sure that everyone could um, distance as they needed to to make sure they were safe throughout the whole event in addition, we do a lot of things outdoors we do a lot of games usually for the kids and for the adults as well and we Normally, we'd do photo booths for groups to get together and have photos. We've had uh, bourbon tastings and cigar rollers in the past, all sorts of things that people would congregate around. So we changed a lot of that, and we did things that an individual could do one at a time, uh, both for the children and for the adults, uh, including one of my favorites, which was laser skeet shooting and uh and we made sure that between every user we wiped everything down with alcohol wipes and cleaned all the equipment, and then let someone else do it again and it ended up working out beautifully, and on top of that, we had a great night of weather too.
0: Now, I do want to mention though that you did have to cancel you know another staple of meetings like this is the open bar reception before dinner uh that went by the wayside, did it not? Yeah, it did. Um, we we sat down and as we planned this out, we made
1: sure we, we did away with anything where we would be asking people to congregate uh, into small groups. And, you know, a reception normally is exactly that. Yeah, get everybody to gather around the bar and a few cocktail tables and, you know, get them to mix and mingle and chat with each other. And as much as we want people to get acquainted, Um, We just didn't want to be the ones creating that atmosphere and putting anybody in that sort of situation. So instead, we just did open bars throughout the dinners. We didn't have a reception and uh, we ensured we used snake lines and we used some guided paths to make sure that people entered uh, in different locations and entered in not in large groups. So we kept them separated and and kept everybody uh, with that opportunity to stay socially distant um, as the phrase goes.
0: Now, how much of that, these decisions on how to do this came from you and how much of it came from the Ritz-Carlton? Because I would imagine not just Ritz-Carlton, but the entire Marriott chain of which Ritz-Carlton is part, has been thinking about all these things 24 hours a day since February or March. Uh, how much guidance did you get from them?
1: Well, I'll tell you, we we really had a working partnership with them and they were fantastic. Um, obviously, the Ritz and Marriott Corporation, as you said, they have a baseline of, of what they decided to do internally on their own. We went over that with them, and that included things, for instance, like changing the way they do housekeeping. Um, they would al- they would allow uh, guests to decide how often they'd want a maid or you know housekeeper in the room, because um, some folk may not feel comfortable with someone coming in and cleaning, so they just wanted to have the room left alone the whole time they were there. Um, and they also made some changes. They they physically changed the hotel. They added some automatic door openers so that people didn't have to touch doors. Um, they put up plexiglass at the front you know, the front desk and some other dividers where people would interact with hotel staff and all the hotel staff wore gloves and masks the entire time, um, even outside in the hot, hot weather. And I, I had sympathy for him in that. Um, but along the way we shared our concerns with the hotel. And as we talked through the events, we worked with them and, and designed some things unique to us, uh, to the point where the Ritz is now sharing that with other persp- prospective groups. Um, uh, we, de- we developed the snake lines. We set up the, um, uh, and how to use those to effectively ensure there's not a crowd at the bar and, and people keep moving. We uh, we doubled the width of our registration areas so that uh, people were six feet away even while
0: they were registering and we were handing out registration materials. Um, let us let me point out here, talking about the, the, the Ritz, that part of the reason you were able to do this is because you were the only show in town, that it might be a little tougher if you had two conferences going on at the same time. Of course, you know, Conferences as as it, it'll be interesting to see if you get two or three conferences are they going to be able to be quite as thorough as they were with you maybe just they kind of lose a little flexibility if more groups in the hotel at the same time
1: well I I think that's a fair point although um, at least with the Ritz I, I think they'd be able to pull it off they you know like I said before I can't say enough good about them they're a great group of people and we love working with them. Um, but you're right, other hotels, that, that that would be a challenge. And if there had been another large group there, it would have been a challenge as well. Uh, we were very fortunate. They uh, We were the first group of any size that had met there um, since February. Everyone had canceled, and uh, everyone had canceled for weeks after that. Um, it's been interesting in the, in the meantime or in the time since our event, I've received multiple calls from other groups asking, you know, how did you do it? How do you do it? And, and what lessons can we learn? And, um, and I'm glad to share those with people and hopefully they, they can make the right decision for their group.
0: Well, send them to the, the link to the FreightWave story into this podcast, right? They can, Absolutely. Make, they can take care of that. What did it do to the attendance? Attendance was not normal, but how far did it fall? Yeah, well, it, obviously the pandemic had a real effect. And, and in our
1: surveys of our members, we, we learned that very few uh, were openly saying that they would not come because they had a health and safety concern about coming. Most did not have that. In fact, we got several responses that they trusted us to make wise decisions, and and I appreciate that, and we certainly uh, wanted to be worthy of that trust. Um, What we got a lot was that companies had made decisions to either slim down their corporate travel or do away with it altogether for a certain period of time. Some were through October. Some were already, uh, even in May, had already decided no more corporate travel throughout the entire year. Um, So the effect that had on us was it did knock out some folk who were regular attendees. Uh, It actually knocked out some folk who had already registered for the first time to join us. And then their companies later made a decision to cancel all corporate travel. Um, It also slimmed down some of the delegations that come. Uh, A lot of the companies will send three, four, five or even more people. uh, And some of those firms decided to send one or two people instead. So overall, we were down about 45, 50 percent on our um, on our average um, of attendance. So we're down in the 300 range instead of the 550 or 600 range.
0: And one of the lifebloods of all kinds of conferences like this are sponsorships. What happened to your sponsors? I I do want to note, as you told me, your meeting does not have an exhibition hall, so that would not have been affected.
1: Yes, that's right. And and in that way, I think we were fortunate It'd be a lot tougher to do an exhibition hall in this environment. Um, yeah, the, the sponsorships were down some as well. Um, not quite as bad as the uh, as the attendance. Um, and we uh, there were able to get creative with some of our sponsors. So, uh we had more than a few that said, look, um, for instance, our corporate travel has said we can't come, but we still want to be represented. We still want to be sponsors there. And so uh, we developed the opportunity for them to make short video commercials. And uh, and so folk did. Uh, we had televisions playing those commercials all over. Uh, our meeting area. And people were basically um, talking to the audience saying, hey, we're sorry we couldn't join you, but we're glad you're having the meeting. And we, we want you to know we're helping support the meeting and support the industry. And so that was a nice change of pace as well. We'll probably do something like that again.
0: You know, the now you're part of the American Trucking Associations, and I've been watching uh, their stance on their October meeting, their big uh, uh, their big meeting, their big annual meeting. And they have been pretty consistent throughout I don't see really any reason why they would back down. Now they are going to hold that meeting in person. Uh, have you been in touch with them? Are they taking lessons from you? As as I opened the show with, saying that you're the trailblazer. Um, have they uh, Have they said, hey, let's look to the GMTA and see what they did for some for some education?
1: Well, I, I can't tell you that they're taking lessons. They may or may not be, and, and I have been talking with them, and will continue to talk to them, and certainly. We're available to them if we can help in any way. I did uh, create a small report that I shared with other state trucking associations and with ATA, and I know they've looked that over. I've had a couple conversations with some ATA staff folk about that, um, but you know they've got a great group of professionals there, and um, you know I, I think they're about as trustworthy as can get. Um, so I, pers- I personally plan to attend that meeting and uh, look forward to it.
0: Let's get to the probably the most important question this meeting took place around june 20th 21st correct yeah that as we as we record this that's about a full 3 weeks the incubation period for covid the covid-19 virus is about 2 weeks any reports of anybody catching it uh, or carrying it into that meeting no
1: no no one brought it that we know of and no one walked out with it that we know of
0: and you feel fairly confident that if there was somebody who had developed symptoms you probably would have heard about it correct
1: oh yeah well, it, it, if something like that had occurred um, during the meeting, we certainly would have shut them off right away um, in, in as nice a way possible. We wouldn't let them participate any longer. And uh, and we have heard nothing but good comments since. And more than a few folk have reported that they loved it and they're feeling great.
0: When you were there, were you able to get any sleep? I, I've got to imagine for all your organization, you must have been a bit of a nervous wreck during that. I think I would have been.
1: Well, you know, to be honest with you, it, there's a good core group of our crowd that are people we know, and um, it, it really was a spirit of everyone being in this together. Um, certainly, there's plenty to do when you're doing a meeting like that, and there's more than enough to keep you awake. Um, but the added concerns were were not as bad as they could have been if we weren't as prepared as we had been. Um, and again, um, I'll say it one more time, the Ritz did a fantastic job. They did everything they told us they would do as far as keeping our people safe. And uh, and then we did our part and worked well with them. So, um, yeah, a little bit of sleepless nights, but there was a lot of confidence there, too, in the way it performed.
0: Yeah, I'm sure you benefited, too, from a staff at the Ritz. That I'm sure all the time they're top notch. It's a top notch organization. But you were also probably being served by people who might have been out of work for a long time. They They probably viewed you as a savior.
1: Well, um, at least for
0: a couple of days.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, a lot of the folk who were working the event um, did tell us it was the first time they'd been back to work since February, and they were mm-hmm. very happy to have us there. and uh, mm-hmm. And they're always great, but there was maybe a little extra smile to working there that, that week.
0: Well, Ed Crowell has been our guest. He's the president and CEO of the Georgia Motor Trucking Association, and Ed, you really are a trailblazer. Somebody had to go first, and it turned out to be you. I will tell you that. I didn't think anybody would go this early. Um, I think there may be some special set of circumstances that worked here because you had all that flexibility and all that space. That maybe it would be a little tougher to replicate if a couple of places, a couple of organizations wanted to share a hotel. But that's, you know, that's minor. You, you took the plunge and I think probably the industry and a lot of people learn from that. So thank you. John, I'm glad. I hope people can learn from it. I'm glad we pulled it off
1: and uh, really enjoyed talking with you.
0: Okay, well, you've been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freight Waves. You can find us uh, on freightwaves.com. You can find us on all the major freight, all the major podcast platforms. I'm John Kingston, your host. Please join us again.